in Matthew, the 16th chapter, Matthew chapter 16, um, would, you, would, you, would you just do me one more favor? You don't have to get up, but just people around you, would you just look over at them for a moment and just look them in the eye, look them in the eye and say, hey, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. Just tell somebody next to you, around you, behind you, in front of you, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. That's, that's one of the things that, that, um, that the Holy Spirit's been prompting me uh, is that we need to be more thankful, amen, for one another and, and express that gratitude. So I am thankful for you tonight. And um, amen, thankful for you, Sister Peyton. Praise God. It's good to see you and everyone else tonight. Amen. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to connect some things together rather quickly tonight and, and move into some new stuff. But Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, it says this, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the King James Version says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there's a lot of confusion surrounding this verse, and really there shouldn't be. If you go into the original language, you see that Jesus was using a play on of words, um, as, as you know, many times we do uh, in, in communicating and, and saying things in clever ways that would register with people. And so Peter um, is an English translation of a word that literally means rock. And, and some of you know this, but, um, but Pam and Rick Sandretto, they have a son named Rock. Amen. And so we see that when Jesus was calling Peter Rock, and then he said, on this rock I will build my church, he used two different variations of the word rock. And when he called Peter Rock, he was basically calling him we might say it this way in our vernacular, a chip off the old block. In other words, when he said on this rock, he was talking about a large outcropping, like, like a ledge, like this huge uh, stone that would be fit to build something upon, right? And he referred to Peter as a piece of rock that would be used as a part of that building, Okay, so there are some, and, and if you have a Catholic background or a Catholic persuasion, again, I'm not trying to pick a fight with you, but there are some who translate this verse to mean that the church is going to be built on Peter, and that's just simply not the case. The church, of course, is built on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and Peter made this very clear as well as other uh, of the apostles that Jesus is indeed not just the cornerstone, right, of the church, but he is the chief corner. Now, what that literally means is, if, and if you understand, like, let's say when we built the building that we're in um, tonight, you know, of course, the first thing we did is clear the property. Second thing we did is get all the topsoil out of here and bring in a good base. But when it came time to pour the, the slab and the footings, the first thing they did was find a corner, Right? And then once you establish one corner of the building, you pull the other corners off of that, and that's how you get the building laid out. So when the Bible identifies Jesus as the chief cornerstone, he's saying that every other corner finds its location from that one stone. In other words, that's the first one set. And then from that stone determines the location of not just the other cornerstones, but every other piece of that building is determined by that one stone, the chief corner. 
So clearly the Bible makes it plain and, and, and beyond you know, any argument that Jesus is the one that the church is being built upon. And of course, Peter, later in, in 1 Peter, he talks about how we are lively stones like him that are being built up, okay? Now, the next thing that I want to point out to you is that Jesus was, was saying that he said, I will build my church. I will build my church. How many of you know if God says he will do something, he will do it? Okay? And he also said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that by implication tells us that the gates of hell are trying to stop the building of the church. That they are arrayed against it. Now, this is another expression when it talks about the gates of Hades or the gates of hell. The way to better understand this is in ancient times, the elders of the city, the wise men of the city, would meet at the gates of the city to develop strategy, to, to develop uh, you know, plans, especially if there was a, an, a military threat or if they were at war. The gates of the city would refer to the wise men of the city and the strategies that would come from the meetings at those gates, right? So when he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, we could perhaps better understand that if we understood that, um, that the plans or the strategies, that the, the, the plotting that the enemy is using against the church, right, um, will not prevail against or stop the building of Jesus' church. Amen. Are you with me tonight? All right. Now, there's lots of directions we could go from here. Let me just remind you then that as a member of the church, and I don't mean that you've got your name on a letter somewhere in a file cabinet. I'm talking about as someone who has been born again and is now a member of the church. Amen. You are a member of something that will not fail. You are a member of something that will not fade away or come to nothing. But you are a part of something that will continue to grow and expand, that will continue to take more and more ground, that will continue to grow. Amen. In other words, you're a part of something big. You're a part of something big. One of the things that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me during praise and worship was that so much of what we long for as, as human beings is found, yes, in Christ. Don't misunderstand me, right? Um, in other words, there, when we talk about acceptance and security and identity and significance and purpose, those are things we talk about a lot around here. Because we're all, we all have a, a, a hunger, a thirst, a need, a desire, a craving for those five things. It's, it's woven into the way God created us. And certainly we can only find those things in Christ. In other words, what the, the mistake most people make is they try to satisfy those appetites through worldly or fleshly things. As I've often said, the world's God's substitute of choice is money. And those people try to find security through money. They try to find acceptance through money. They try to find their identity, their, their, their purpose, their significance, their worth, what have you, through the amount of money or the amount of things that they are able to acquire in their lives, right? But again, those money will never do it for us. 
Only, only what we can find in Christ, in God, in a relationship with Him. That's the real acceptance. That's the real security. That's our true identity. That's our true significance, value, worth, purpose, what have you. That, that we find it in that. Are you with me? I can't believe I'm preaching this right now, but I just, it's spilling out of me. So, but hear me, please. He also, this is what he said to me. He said, he said, these things will never be experienced outside of the body. Think about it for a moment. We, we all have a desire to belong. We all have a desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. That's not just a random, sporadic thing amongst human beings. We all have that. Amen. It's because we were pre-wired. We were preconditioned. We were created by God, for God, and we were created by God, for God, to be a member of the body of Christ. Wow. Wow. So he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I want to... Again, stringing some things together. We covered some of this this morning. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, speaking of, of God the Father, and He, God the Father, put all things under His feet, speaking of Jesus' feet, and gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church, comma, lowercase w, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So if you take the number 23 out, you see this phrase within those two verses, the church which is His body. So when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he was also saying and knew at that moment what we did not understand but would find out later is that he wasn't just talking about a gathering of people. He wasn't just talking about a bunch of people who would swear allegiance to him and, and meet in buildings around the world, right? But he was talking about something much more intimate than that. He was literally talking about becoming a member of his body, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh as he spells it out in no uncertain terms in Ephesians chapter 5. But we don't turn there quite yet. Right now, the church which is his body. So he says, I will build my church, the church which is his body. So if we combine these two verses, he's literally saying that he will build not just an organization. Are you hearing me? Not, not just a political movement. He's, he's not saying, I, I, will, I will build uh, the greatest army. He's not saying, he says, I will build my body and the gates of hell will not stop me and the gates of hell will not stop my body. I will build it. I will build it. Amen. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 4, it says this, coming to him, him in this case, the pronoun here is referring to Jesus, coming to Him as to a living stone. As a living stone. Now, I know maybe that it goes without saying in this bunch, but you have to understand that in the day and age in which this was written, people worshipped stone gods. Gods that were carved out of stone. This is, I think, one of the main reasons why God forbid there being graven images. In other words, God doesn't want an image carved out of Himself from wood or metal or stone because He's not a wooden, metal, or stone God. He's a living, breathing God. He has life in Himself. So the, the clarification is made here when it says we come to Him as a, to a living stone. In other words, Jesus is not just a stone statue, lifeless, that people worship as, as people do in other parts of the world, uh, worshiping uh, false gods and false idols. Now notice it says rejected indeed by men. 
Jesus came and the ones who were the most qualified to know who He was rejected Him. But even though He was rejected by men, it says that He was chosen by God and precious. This is where you and I get involved in verse 5. You also, as living stones... Now, time out here, okay? I point this out to you from time to time, and I want to point it out to, to you again, right? In a, in a Western culture, when we hear the word you, we think me, we think individual, we think one, like you, amen. But notice it says you also as living stone. So the you here is not talking about you as an individual, although it does include you as an individual. But he's literally saying, watch me now, you as living stones, all of you, you guys, you all, y'all, right, as living stones. Not you the individual, but you as the group. You as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, again, the Bible teaches that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as a born-again believer, lives inside of you. He dwells inside of you. And I guess to some extent, in varying degrees, we understand or have some comprehension of what that means. But here again, he's talking about something on a much bigger scale. He's not just talking about the Holy Spirit abiding in you, the individual, but he's talking about the Holy Spirit abiding in you, all the body of Christ, as living stones. Now, oh, let's, let's dig into verse 5 just a little bit more. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. Now, here is, again, something that I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to help us, obviously. But the Bible teaches, for instance, in Hebrews 10 and 14, it says this of you, that He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, I'm going to lift my voice as the rain kind of pitter-patters down, okay? He says again, Hebrews 10 and 14, that He has perfected forever. That's past tense, right? That's speaking of a past completed work. Yet He says of those who have been perfected forever, that you are being sanctified. Sanctified means set apart more and more from the world and more and more unto God for God's purposes and call upon your life, upon our lives as, as a collective whole. Now, the reason I bring that verse up is because it mirrors what he's saying here. That you are a living stone, meaning as a part of the building, you've been redeemed and you have the Spirit of God in you, you have the life of God in you, but you are at the same time being built up a spiritual house. Now, what the 1014, Hebrews 10.14 passage does is it's speaking obviously to all of us, but that has to do 
with your individual walk with God. Your individual process of your mind being renewed, you um, recognizing more and more your right standing with God, and that right standing and your understanding of it inspiring you to live a godly life, which means you commit yourself to coming to church, to worship, to prayer, to reading the Scriptures, to, to obeying God. That's what godliness is. And to a life of holiness. One of the things the Holy Spirit said to us this morning was that we are to be holy as He is holy. holy holiness is speaking of all the things that you don't do anymore because you've been made righteous. And godliness is speaking all of, of all the new things you do now because you've been made righteous. Righteousness is a state of being Holiness and godliness are states of doing. They're things that you do because you have been made righteous. Are you with me? All right, now, so I'm, I'm talking about what you do as an individual. Amen. And so we're not leaving that out. We're not saying that that's not important. But what I'm asking you and, and I'm asking of myself and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help us all is to understand how our individual walk in relationship with God connects to, relates with, and affects the functionality of all of us collectively. Amen. We're in this thing together. We're in this thing together. Praise God. Oh, I want to say it again. I want to say it just as loud as I can holler it. We're in this thing together. You are not alone. The devil tries to make us feel alone. One of the things I did... Mother, I didn't realize how much I did on vacation until I started talking about it. One of the things I did is I studied the book of Acts from the Passion Translation. If you're not familiar with the Passion Translation, I'm going to encourage you to become familiar with it, right? It, like, like any translation, it's, it's, it's the best effort of godly men and women to try and, and produce uh, a translation of the Scriptures that will convey the meaning that God intended, okay? And so there are certain things about it I love. There may be some, like the message translation, that I'm not exactly sure that's... That's accurate, okay? So, but I do give it an endorsement if you're wondering, right? And you can U version if you're a U version fan, um, or a U version user. user um, it's on there for free, all right? But I studied the, the book of Acts from the uh, the Passion translation, and there was one time in particular where the Apostle Paul, because he had been abandoned by so many people. I mean, it's like goodness gracious. I mean ministry partners, just so many people when, you know, when the church was growing and everything was going well, man, he, he was a rock star, right? But man, when, when the pressure and the persecution came, people started running from him like he had the plague. And, and there was one particular place where he was feeling very alone, and God sent word to him. He said, do not be afraid. I have many people in this city, Right? See, the devil loves to make us feel deprived and he loves to make us feel isolated and he loves to make us think that nobody understands and he loves to make us feel like we're all alone and blah, 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 blah. He's a liar. The devil is a liar. Amen. You are not alone. We are in this thing together. Amen. And because we're in this together, because we are each individual members of the body of Christ and therefore members of one another according to the Scriptures... What you do as an individual affects me, and what I do as an individual affects you. Now, I'm not trying to put some huge amount of pressure on you, but that's why the Bible says here 
in 1 Peter 2 and 5, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. We commented on this this morning, and, and I'll just mention it again tonight. The first 20 years at Heritage, we have spent a great deal of time focusing on the individual. But the Holy Spirit has, in His wisdom and leadership, is shifting us away now from the individual to the collected whole. Amen. Amen. And so He's saying here, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. He's not just talking about your individual walk with God and what you do on an individual basis. He's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit building us all up together. Are you seeing this? This is not just what you and God do in the morning in your quiet time with Him. That's very, very important. And certainly that affects His ability to grow us up together. God is not just interested in a few of us becoming mature. He's not just interested in a handful of us having the greater blessings of God. He's not interested in a couple of dozen of us experiencing grace and more grace. He desires that for every single one of us. Now, again, I, I'm not trying to get political. I, I think the concept of no child left behind was well intended. But again, my daughter teaches school. I have other people in here who are school teachers. And just like so many government programs that are meant to help, sometimes they have their hiccups, all right? So I'm not trying to compare this to a government program that's controversial. But this idea of no one left behind, there's a military rule, right? Marines don't leave other Marines behind. Soldiers don't leave other soldiers behind. And in the same way, when it comes to the body of Christ, there's this idea that we're just going to you know, go off and leave everybody else and outgrow everybody else. It doesn't work that way. That is not God's plan. That is not God's desire. If a soldier is wounded, the healthy soldiers carry him to safety. Right? Are you following what I'm saying? So the idea of no soldier left behind, no man left behind, no child left behind, again, these, these may be man-made things or, or, or ideas or, or, or principles that govern warfare or what have you. But when we talk about the body of Christ and the heart of God, it's, it's, it's not His desire for just one individual to succeed and nobody else. He wants us all to grow up into this spiritual house, our being built up a spiritual house, our being built up a spiritual house, our being built up a spiritual house. Amen. Are you still with me tonight? Now, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm, I, I usually I, I do silly stuff like this when it comes to, to a point related to the one I'm about to make, all right? I am very, I'm very comfortable in, at this point in my life, I'm very comfortable in what God has called me to do. Um, we sing a song around here from time to time, increased is my awareness of your gifts that are in me or your gift that is in me, Okay. And so I am more aware tonight than I have ever been in my life of God's charisma, the result of His grace in my life, the gifts that He has given to me, amen, that, that He then has empowered me to turn around and serve to you. Are you following what I'm saying here? 
I, I do not consider myself to be the ruler of this congregation. I am striving to follow the example of Jesus and the other apostles who viewed themselves not as lords over, but as servants unto. So I'm here to serve you. And I have no problem with that. Please hear me. I have no problem with that. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to take the gift that God has given to me and then serve that gift to you to the best of my ability. And my personal time with God, my personal walk with God is about many things. But one of the things that it's about is me sharpening and stirring up and developing the gift that He's given me so that I can be more effective when I stand before you and others and serve to you what it is that He's given to me. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? But to what end? What is that for? It's for building you up. I am not here to tear you down. I am here to build you up. I am here to encourage you. I am here to strengthen you. I am here to feed you. I am here to bless you. I am here to support you. I am here to agree with you in faith. Stand with you in faith to support you. Are you understand what I'm saying? That, I'm, I'm understanding that more clearly now. Again, if you, if you take a journey through the book of Acts, you see that this was, Paul understood it. He was one of the mightiest apostles that ever lived. One of the most important church figures that ever existed. I guarantee you that most of us in this room tonight can trace our spiritual ancestry back to the work of the Apostle Paul. College football is right around the corner. And for those of you who follow, follow, who follow, who follow college football, you know there's a such thing as a coaching tree. And the idea behind a coaching tree is the different coaches that had assistant coaches that had become head coaches that had assistant coaches who became head coaches and you trace that lineage and you trace it back. And there's a lot of roots, you know, back to Belichick and different ones in the NFL a lot now since Coach Saban has coached for so many years it can be traced back to him, so forth and so on. In that same way, if you can understand that concept of a coaching tree, there is a spiritual tree that can be traced back and I guarantee you when we get to heaven, most people in this room were born again because of the sacrificial efforts of a man from Tarsus named Saul who God transformed the road to Damascus and he became the mighty Apostle Paul who loved not his own life even unto death. Shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, imprisoned, and yet he said, I may be bound, but the Word of God is not bound. And he did most of his writing while imprisoned or on a prison ship. And we are sitting here today benefiting from it. Amen. Amen. And if you read it over and over again, when he would go back to Ephesus, when he would go back to Corinth, when he finally made it to Rome and got to preach and minister to the saints there, his number one purpose, as stated in letters before he got there or in letters after he left writing back, he said his number one purpose was to encourage them and to build them up, to minister to them, to serve his gift to them, to strengthen them in their faith. Amen. 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 So he says that we come to Jesus as we, come, as we would come to a living stone that's been rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. But we come to Him, the cornerstone, a living stone, as living stones also. 
and we are being built up. Being built up is kind of like He has perfected for those who are being sanctified. All being sanctified is speaking of a work that is still in progress. Perfected forever is the past completed work. All being sanctified is speaking of a work in progress. So literally that Scripture is saying you are a perfect work in progress. Now He says, switching from you as an individual to us as a body, that we are living stones. We are living stones. How do we become living stones? Through the new birth. But now as living stones, we are being built up a spiritual house. Meaning there is also a completed work here, but a work in progress as well. A work in progress as well. Amen. Are you getting anything out of this? All right, let me, let me try to take one step further, and we'll, we'll dig into this a little more next week, all right? And among other things, I'm wanting you to see that although it took a while for it to be revealed in Scripture, the plan all along was for us to be members of the body of Christ. In other words, you were created by God with that eternal plan in mind. It's one of the last parts, at least from what we have in Scripture, it's one of the last parts of the plan that was revealed. But like so much of God's planning, once it's unveiled, once, you know, if you could imagine like some object on the pulpit tonight that was covered in a black cloth and all of a sudden, voila, you know, pull it back and reveal it. Once the black cloth was pulled off and it was revealed, you can then go backwards in Scripture and see, wow, that's what he was talking about. It makes sense now. That's the key that unlocks it. Now, one key that I want to show you is from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. So we just went back to the Old Testament, and these are prophetic verses speaking of Jesus. And this is what it says. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. I'll put it up on the screen. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Let me put on the brakes right there. This clearly is speaking of the birth of Jesus. Again, these things were prophesied generations and generations before Jesus was born from the womb of the Virgin Mary. But we see that it was prophesied. A child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon His shoulder. And His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, this has kind of been an underlying theme tonight. We've stepped away from our main subject to another subject to better illustrate. Okay, so let's do that. For a moment, we'll come back to this passage. <clears throat> when Adam and Eve sinned, they separated themselves from God and exposed us all to the curse. Father God came on the scenes and He did a couple of things. First thing He did was He made them permanent clothing. Did you know that? They had made themselves some clothes from fig leaves, and that was obviously very temporal. 
God actually made them clothing from animal skins, symbolic of the blood that would have to be shed ultimately by Jesus to cover and remove our sins from us. But the other thing that Father God did on that day, as I like to refer to it as the scene of the crime, is He began to speak. And that's very important. Because when God speaks, He sets things in motion. And on that day, among other things, He said these words. He said that one day seed would come from a woman that would crush the head of the serpent. Now, if you understand physical reproduction, you know that seed doesn't come from a woman. Seed comes from a man. And yet God said seed would come from a woman. Now, what we know, looking back, of course, is that God wasn't confused, but He was referring to Jesus as the seed from which we would all be born a second time. Amen? Are you still with me? All right. Now, if you just read this verse very quickly you'll miss an important clue. And that important clue is found in the phrase, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Government will be upon his shoulder. That's incorrect from a natural perspective. Governments don't rest upon shoulders, they rest upon heads. Are you with me? They rest upon heads the crowned head, the head of state. But it didn't say that the government of God would rest upon Jesus' head. It said that the government would rest upon His shoulder. The shoulder is connected to the head, but the shoulder is considered to be a part of, some of you are already ahead of me, the body the body, right? Not the head, the shoulder. The shoulder is one of the highest parts of the body. And the Bible says that the government of God would rest upon Jesus' shoulder. Meaning what? That we would participate in ruling and reigning with Him. And of course, Scripture, does Scripture not support this? Romans 5 says that we've received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And through the One, Jesus Christ, we will rule and reign in life through the One, Christ Jesus. Our head. Jesus is the head. We're the body. One more verse. I want to preach this, but I'm just trying to introduce it. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25 says of Jesus that He must reign till He has put all enemies under His feet. So in the prophetic verse of Isaiah 9, we see the government will rest upon His shoulder, part of the body, and that Jesus the head will reign until all enemies not are under His chin, not beneath Him, but beneath His feet. Shoulder among the highest points of the body, feet are among the lowest points of the body. The government upon the body of Christ the kingdom given to the body of Christ, the keys to that kingdom given to the body of Christ are to be utilized by the body of Christ to rule and reign and oversee working diligently alongside the Holy Spirit with Jesus as our head to see His body built in the earth and Jesus will reign with His body until every enemy, until every threat are not underneath Him but underneath the feet, the lowest part of His body. 
that makes me want to holler like a goat. Praise God. Amen. You still with me? My children know what that goat reference means there. We, we heard this goat holler, and it was so funny. It's the funniest thing ever. I tried to holler like it. We were out in the ocean one day, and I tried to holler like it, and I hollered so loud it like was echoing off the condo complexes. And they're all like, what in the world? I, said, I was trying to holler like that goat. But anyway, praise God. Stand with me. Are you getting anything out of this? Where's the government? The government's upon the shoulder. He's sharing His rule and reign. Where are we seated? We're seated with Him on the throne of the universe. Be silly. Jesus didn't just set His head upon that throne. The body of Christ is seated there together with Him. And He will sit there on that throne until all enemies, including death itself, are under His feet. Thank you, Jesus. I said it this morning, I'm going to say it again. It's always been about the body. It's always been about the body. You want, you want to find tremendous satisfaction, tremendous purpose, tremendous meaning in life. Make your life be about the things God's about. Be about what He's about. Commit yourself to what He's committed to. When Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, I, I hope every person in this room, something rises up in your heart and says, where do I sign up? Right? Count me in. If that's what you're interested in, if that's what you're about, Jesus, if you're about building your body, then count me in. I want to be a part of that. I want to be in on that. I got too many loose ends hanging. I'm going to say this last thing and I pray, I promise. I said all that about me coming to feed you, but that's not the only way the body of Christ can be built up. The Bible says that he's, He has gifted certain individuals in five different offices to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4. But then the Bible also says that we are to do what? We are to build up one another. It's not just enough for someone in one of those offices to work diligently to serve you and build you up. We also have to be engaged in building one another up. Amen? Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for life and peace. Thank you for every person in this room tonight. Father, I'm thankful for these men and women. I know most of them, some of them, Father, um, new faces to me. But Father, I am thankful for them. And Father, if, if they're just visiting family from out of town and this is the only time they ever come through these doors, if they're, if they're a member of the body of Christ, we are members of one another. And I'm thankful for them, Father. I'm thankful for the gifts and callings and talents and abilities and purposes and assignments, Lord, that are represented by the men and women standing in this room. Each life has a meaning, has a purpose. Each person has been given grace and therefore has a supply to offer to the, to the objective of building the body. And I thank you, Father, that you're revealing those purposes and those talents and abilities and supplies, resources, and showing us tangible, meaningful ways that we can offer those. Father, I thank you that we are a part of this building of the body of Christ. We're not just the lively stones, but we are being built up and we are participating in building up others. All for the glory of your name.
So as we go our separate ways tonight, Father, help us to, to cling to these things, to, to recognize that, that our choices affect more than just ourselves. And Father, that we would put You first, that we would put other people and serving them and serving our gifts to them the next priority in our lives, trusting You to take care of us in all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.